This is Up The Creek, the definitive Jonathan Creek podcast with your host, my good friend Daniel Krupa and me, Gav Murphy. Today we meet Carla Borrego and figure out who killed a movie star in a gothic Scottish castle. So on this podcast, we talk about Jonathan Creek via the effect, the method, and the reveal. Daniel, what is the effect or effects of Satan's Chimney? We've got a primary and a secondary effect. We've got initially seasoned movie star Vivian Brody dies on set, shot in the chest from within a locked room. And then we have a secondary death, which is Alan Kalanak. But the mystery is celebrated escapologist Alan Kalanak disappears from within Satan's chimney, a 16th century torture chamber used to burn Protestants. His body later turns up dead in a river. You know that it's going to be a long old episode when it starts with like, <laughs> it's, was it 1665? Uh, was it 1557 1557 like you know it's going to be a long old episode uh where you're like okay they've given him a bunch of money caroline quentin is no longer on the books she's obviously taken like the lion's share of the uh the budget all these years and now they're like right now you've got quentin bucks to go wild with and make a two hour episode (sighs) it is a big old episode this this becomes quite a go-to structure for him with these specials opening with a big old flashback that doesn't pay off for ages yeah because <laughs> this satan's chimney thing happens right at the top and then it's a long old while until you ever get back to that place or this is relevant yeah i've written it down loads of like anytime anything happened i would be like anyone remember satan's chimney which is what this episode is meant to be about i feel this flashback they've put it at the beginning because it's kind of a good cold opening yeah but by the time you get around to it you go oh yeah that was at the beginning it's a bit of a joke isn't it i do like the sort of hammer horror blood red font of it all i like that that's a thing i that's this i've written down that there's so much going on that takes it away from satan chimney i think you're absolutely bang on there where you're just like by the time it actually gets satan chimney you're like oh yeah like this is a thing isn't it because why not set the film in the place where satan's chimney is like why not do that and then they all hang around there the murder happens in the first like couple of scenes and then everything it, this episode is an hour long i guess the murder only happened yeah I, it should just be an hour long i think the murder of vivian brody should have already happened yeah and that's not a mystery and it should just be all the kalanak thing yeah 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 because you could have that if the film is being made at the place where satan's chimney is it feels wild when they're just like right now we're going up to this place it just takes too long everything takes too long it's like 20 minutes before like you watch 20 minutes and you're just like other than the cold opening be like how is this a jonathan creek episode what is going on it's so it's so odd. At least it's more of a Jonathan Creek episode than Ghost Forge. Mm. As as two proper mysteries. There's a lot of people in it as well. A lot of different characters. Uh, there's a lot of people in it. There's very few actors. <laughs> um, do you know what? I think the best person in it is probably Bill Bailey. Yeah. Um, who's is not really a professional actor. He started as a stand comedian. I know he's done a lot of acting, but. He's great in there. Like, there's a couple of bits that really made me laugh when, uh, of his. Like, properly made me uh, laugh. 
I've just, yeah, I've just written, Bill Bailey is very funny. That's Kenny Starkis. Yeah. <laughs> he comes back as well, doesn't he? He's semi-recurring. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that a lot. And also, you know, we made a big thing out of it. This is the first episode without Maddie Magellan. And we have Julius Sawala's Carla Borrego instead. Because this episode is not on Netflix, so I don't watch it when I rewatch Jonathan Creek. I forgot that there is that quite nice uh, scene at the end between them where she sort of reveals herself a little bit more. And I actually quite like that. But all the way through the rest of the episode, she's a massive pain in the ass. She's an odd character because they have to, in one episode, re-establish a whole dynamic with Jonathan. So Jonathan almost has to prove himself against her that he has essentially powers. Yeah. Which is weird. <laughs> and... And they instantly have to have this like bitey rapport, but they also want to make mm. it different from Maddie's rapport. Yeah. I also, I, f- I feel like they don't do enough work with it. Like they don't, I, because it feels like it's really, really thin on the ground why they're going together. And then they, it feels like they ease into working together and into like that dynamic way too quickly and way too easily. Well, it's mainly because she is the agent of Alan Kalanick that they get mm. introduced. And then midway through, you realize that Kalanick is actually going to be way more involved in the events of the episode. Yeah. So she has, I guess, a pretense for going along. But at the end of the day, she's still his theater agent. She going to the funeral. She, go- she didn't even know he was married to her, which I find bizarre. Yeah. You that know is if, really you weird. You would know yeah. if your boss had been married to a very famous movie star. But also what's really strange as well is, yeah, I know Jonathan uh, maybe is a little bit known because of the books and stuff like that, but I feel like she's already got a magician. <laughs> she's got like quite good access to a magician who can help with stuff like this. She's like, oh, let's get another magician involved. <laughs> That feels really odd. And then it just, they ease into this because they obviously, Renwick doesn't want to do it again of having like to have to introduce and build up this rapport between these characters. So I feel like they just get kind of like chucked together and then they go, right, this is what's going to be happening from now on. We don't have any time to actually cement them together. This is what's happening. Go with it. What what I'd completely forgotten is that actually Maddie does get mentioned quite a few times. So first she gets... The, is the postcard. She's in Australia? Texas, Austin, Texas. Te- Texas, okay, yeah. She's at, a, she's at a publishing junket in Austin, Texas. That's where she is. Lovely photo of her. Well, she's not there, quite clearly. A um, bit, bit, bit there, Photoshop. <laughs> she's got blonde hair as well. Yeah, she looks lovely. But she says, Dear Jonathan, greetings from Texas. Austin is huge and very hot. See pick. Book promo a bit iffy so far, but loving that Texan beef. <laughs> Masses to tell you when I get back. Love for now, M. So she's making this oh. weird pun and also a bit of grot about the man she's with. It's a bit not on yeah. sending Jonathan a picture of another man. Yeah, but I guess like where they've left it is they're just these couple of mates who do stuff like that. Like it's not it's not much different to what they do. That seems a very pointed thing to make him jealous. It's very strange and like it is quite fun where. You get her. She actually says, "Like I'm not Maddie Magellan," which, like, if Carla says that, like, straight out, it was like, "I know, we know, we know you're not Maddie Magellan. We're not under any pretense of that." But Jonathan's response to that is really telling. He goes, "I know, suits you." Aww. So it's almost like he's tired of what Maddie was for him. Yeah, but it's kind of good little Barbie relationship at the beginning. She calls him prop boy. She puts him down. Yeah, she's like, it's that thing going. Oh, it's just possibly the most horrible person I've ever met, which is just so extreme. 
Because <laughs> he actually doesn't do anything that bad. <laughs> I was like, she's so unimpressed by him. Yeah. In a way that Maddie was overwhelmed by him. So when she first goes to his windmill, whereas Maddie was quite enchanted by it all, she just does not give a crap. She thinks it's quite sad, I think. And then she repeats Jonathan's mantra back to him. I'm just a prop boy. I wouldn't learn about these things. But that doesn't mean you can't learn. A free piece of advice. You shouldn't take everything that's happened here at face value. You mean things may not be quite what they seem? Which is something Jonathan has said consistently for three seasons to Maddie. So there's a cool reversal. You've got this like new force who's basically starting on the same page as him. I think that's the thing. It's like, I just don't understand why they've portrayed her to be so annoying. I think it's that it's a bit of a crap female character where at the end she's this incredibly needy character. Yeah. Because there's something quite nice about that scene, but also at the same time, all the way through it, she just feels like what I really don't like in TV and films, like it feels like she doesn't want to be there. <laughs> I need you to really be into it. Because at least like Maddie was into the mystery so much to the point where like she would trick Jonathan into coming along on the mysteries. And like, yeah, she was into the mystery, but she was also into it for, you know, her own career and stuff like that. But it's like, I, I get the feeling like Carla's not really that arsed quite a lot of the time. I think they haven't figured out why she should like Maddie was a mystery writer. Jonathan could help her write mystery mm. books and sell copies. Yeah. And then obviously the next time we meet Carla, she's reframed in a new context that gives this mystery solving an outlet. Yes. And same with the Sheridan Smith things. You need that other character to have a purpose for why they're engaging Jonathan and why they're along. Yeah. So for Carla's TV show or whether it's a reporter, it has to have some end product. Otherwise, it's a bit of a weird hobby. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, I did like um, right at the end. Do you notice when they're outside Carla's flat, we have a replay of the Black Canary scene that we only heard about where they're sat outside of her flat and she asks him for coffee? Yeah, yeah. It's the moment that Jonathan walks away with with Charlotte in Black Canary. And here, you look. it looks like he's going to do the same. And he goes, oh, quite like to use your toilet. Yeah. Go on, Jonathan. So maybe after the Maddie stuff, he's just going, maybe I should take a chance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think like it feels like she's shouting, like she's always dialed up to eleven or twelve. Like she's just always at that level, and there's no way to go after that. So she's just constantly shouting and quite loud with it. Her characterization is all over the place. When we first meet her, she's just on this big shopping spree. So is she really shallow, but those are the times where she doesn't seem shallow at all. Yeah, a bit where she dresses up as the nurse to rub cream all over the guy. He obviously hasn't really figured out what she is meant to be or who she is. Well, it's, you know, fair enough. It's their first time, but it's a lot of heavy lifting to immediately introduce this character, mm. immediately make them a foil for Jonathan, give them a reason to be there in the first place. Yeah. So her being, I think he's just looked at all these bits and going, well, I can make her his the theatrical agent. That's a way of working her in. But yeah, that's the thing. It like, makes her a theatrical agent, but she's still weirdly dismissive of magic and Jonathan in general. Just like, what? Like, if anything, she should have an understanding and a respect for that. But no, calls him a prop boy. It's like, I would think if you were a really, really good magic agent, you would understand the value of a really good entrepreneur. But it doesn't seem like she does. Also, Jonathan essentially producer of the Adam Klaus show. Why is he doing calls like that? Yeah. <laughs> Feels like he's doing everything these days. He's booking people. He's speaking to agents. He's doing everything. He's measuring a girl's legs at the end. He shouldn't be doing that. 
But as we've seen from um, Wrestler's Tomb, he's always been a dog's body. Yeah. Well, that's why I kind of like um, when Kalanak is talking to him and basically offers him a job, you know, because he says that you'd be, you know, basically being wasted with Klaus. And it's kind of strange how that we obviously don't get that, get to see that go anywhere. I think, I think that's it's something we've alluded to is Kalanak goes, oh, this is why you've cut out this ancillary career in mysteries. Mm. It's frustration and boredom. Yeah. So it's a satisfaction you're not finding within your day-to-day work. Yeah, Which yeah. is something we've talked about, and it's kind of cool to have a character that sees through that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, imagine what could have been. Maybe he goes on the road with Kalanak, because Kalanak feels really murdering famous. People. Not me, yet. <laughs> Except for the murdering, murdering people bit. in mad ways. <laughs> That's the thing. Jonathan's got to come up with the murders this time. That's why he's getting him involved. I call it FX, the deadly art of illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll go and have a quick shifty around that window. You see what you can get out of Mr. Superhunk. Oh, right. And how am I supposed to do that? I'm not Maddie McGillan. I know. Suits you. Well, let's do the method then. Actually, Vivian Brody is indirectly killed by Alan Kalanak, uh, who enlists the help of her stalker and secret son to shoot her using a gun disguised as a prop axe. Uh, used within the scene of the film. I know it's duff. I kind of like the gun axe. So much information that's had to be squeezed into that sentence. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, she had a secret son, which ends up being this guy who's working on the uh, film who has, who has to chop a load of stuff down, and Kalanak enlists him and gets him to make a gun into the i like it i think it looks good i like the gun <laughs> it is good we'll get on to motivations later the, the gun is good there's very few clues for this one there's a there's made a huge thing about her pointing at the window which becomes this misdirection of oh how does someone shoot her through the window yes. and the glass is intact so for a long time you're turning over this idea of how can you shoot through a pane of glass and it doesn't shatter? Mm. Which is a complete misdirection by the episode. But I feel like the episode fixates on that too much where you think that's the only way. But then I don't really understand why she's pointing because Jonathan says to me, is it, she's pointing at the reflection of someone in the room? Yeah. So she's pointing at her son. It's a bit messy that I think. I think everyone in the episode fixates on it saying that she was actually pointing at her murderer. But I don't think... That's necessarily what she was doing here. Maybe, because is she, by this point, does she think that he is going to do something horrible to her? Because he calls her up. Well, he's he's ripped all her clothes and stabbed the fake version of her head. Yes. Because we should also say, he doesn't know that he is her son. And for an additional reason, for whatever reason, he's obsessed by her. Yeah. Like, really obsessed by her, Tom. To the point he wants that he almost makes out with his mum. Yeah. We'll talk about if this one makes sense. Like, I, I do like how good the gun axe looks. It's still a gun, though. So I feel like if he's chopping the door and he gets through a little bit and then it t- suddenly turns into a gun, I do think people are going to be like, what the fuck just happened? What was that noise? Yeah. <laughs> also, banging shot. It's got to be a good shot. Yeah. 
Well, they've they've got him. Um, they've got that little montage bit with Kalanak where they like learning how to shoot like the Rocky training montage. Yeah, and he's shooting bottles outside with his gun axe. I really want to go on that gun axe. It looks like it's really well built. It's like some out of Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I think that's where uh, gun axe. That's where they, Miyazaki got the idea from. From this, yeah, something a bit like Dance Macabre as well for the soundtrack. Yeah, lovely. That'll do. So, I mean. Yeah, that does make sense, but it's one of those ones that we talk about now and again where I that this is a bit different because the clues aren't really given to you to be able to work out what it is. No, I've put out some additional ones down here. For instance, Jonathan makes a big thing about Vivian working consistently across her career. Oh, yeah. Except for a fallow period in the early 70s. Yeah. There's Vivian's diary with missing entries. <laughs> there's not a lot to really latch on to. No. I think there's more in Satan's Chimney. Nothing that Jonathan really latches on to, more just, we just look around it quite a lot with him. Yeah, I think that's a really strange thing. It's like in, an, in, a, in a what is essentially a film in two hours, you don't get a lot of actual detective work from Jonathan in it. They, he's just on the scene, pushing panes of glass and pressing himself up against walls and things like that. So you don't actually... He doesn't actually do that much working out, which is odd in, in something that is so long. Sadly, there's very little dialogue about magic with Kalanak. Yeah. I think that's a real shame and a miss by Renwick to not have those scenes. I think ultimately, this is a two hour episode. A lot of that time is setting all the bits to make all the mad reveals to do with the illegitimate son. Yeah. Work in the final bit, if it works. But it's just a lot of characters to service and get up and running in this one. We should have, we've not even touched on this. Alan Kalanak, as we also know, is part of a very, is it a Lutheran sect? Yes. Oh, yeah. And this is his motivation. This is why he's killing his ex-wife. He's not, he actually, he's not that he disliked her. It's because she kept an illegitimate son from him. That's his motivation for murdering her. Because he thinks illegitimacy is a sin or is she cheating on him? Or that she, she, he thinks that she had the child aborted. So that's what he thinks. Yeah. But then how, but no, why does he tap up Tom then? Does he know that Tom is her son? No, she does. Only tells him at that the night before. I think he is. I think the fact that he taps up Tom is a coincidence because she's he's obsessed with her. You've got to be pretty confident when you go to someone. <laughs> Do you want to make a gun axe with me, son? <laughs> You've got to be pretty sure they're going to be up for it. Also, yeah, because to be fair, it takes a while to make that gun and to get good at shooting. There's a lot of opportunities for him to back out and go. This is wrong. This is wrong. <laughs> the Satan's Chimney, the death of Alan Callender. Yes. There's fewer clues here. Because this, when we did the summary of the effect, we didn't go into the secondary details. So he, he tries to escape from it and disappears. He then calls Jonathan saying he's leaving Doomdorf Castle. Yeah. And then Jonathan wakes up in the middle of the night and sees him driving away. Yeah. There's... The voice memo, which was intentional, mm. and that is being constructed and edited together from dialogue Alan read earlier in the evening when he read this note that <laughs> um, Herman Grohl gives him. Yeah. And Jonathan just starts underlying all these key phrases that are out of sequence, which when stitched together is this goodbye message to Jonathan. I've, I find that bit as well really funny because when Jonathan is talking about that in the reveal, he goes, yeah, the slightly clunky recorded. You didn't say it was slightly clunky at the time. You didn't bring that up. You said you went along with it. You went along with it and did it. 
<laughs> oh, I thought it was slightly clunky. I was going to say something, but what I decided to do instead was just completely go along with it. Oh, is that right, Jonathan? <laughs> also, if I've been doing that editing stuff together to make a lie, if I got caught in my editing suite, I wouldn't go... You can make anything real with the power of editing. Yeah. <laughs> You're not so different, you and I. I magic up voices. <laughs> that whole scene yeah, feels like a dad with a drone on Christmas Day. Like a dad who's got a new piece of technology and just is like showing off. He's like, watch how as I make magic. And he's like, that's just editing. You're just editing something. Shut up. <laughs> we talk about the epiphany because i think it's absolutely wild yeah well yeah so we say the method though for alan kalanak so alan is crushed to death within satan's chimney which actually has a false ceiling that turns into a crushing plunger uh once lowered and creates a false floor for the room masking the mechanism that's how that's done which like i i think that that's quite a I like that trick and I like how it was used in the olden days where they would b burn the rope. So when actually when the person was dead and it, they disappear, all was there left was ashes. So they think that they'd been burned alive. But actually what had happened is just the ropes had burned, which is quite good. You are, you're relying a lot on those ropes really going up though as well, to be fair. Because yes. if there's anything left of those, you're like, why is there a bit of rope in this? <laughs> Although I guess that like, you would be like, oh, she's they tied just, down originally. They just, like, they just left a bit of that, yeah. This is um, strange how Jonathan has the epiphany for this. Because Jodie, <laughs> yeah. who is one of the very flirtatious actresses on the set, she pretends to be stoned by a wasp and then sits on his lap in a very suggestive way. Jonathan then later realizes it was impossible for her to be stoned by a wasp because there wouldn't be wasps around inside at that time of year. So she must have been distracting him from something. So even though she was distracting him from something, yeah. he still saw what she was distracting him from, which was a cafeteria, which has a similar mechanism to Satan's chimney. So she thought that him seeing the cafeteria was going to unlock something in his brain. So she decided to distract him. But also what I don't understand about this is, sounds like Jonathan still saw it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knows she yeah. was trying to distract. So, not see so seeing it didn't do anything to Jonathan, but him realizing she was trying to hide it does. I don't really follow that. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. What was also really odd as well was like I think I texted you at the time when I was watching it, but the reveal happens with like thirty minutes left in the episode. It's still so much to clear up. Yeah, because we get the Kalanak reveal first. Mm. The Vivian Brody thing is almost a coda right at the end because they've then got to go find out and discover all the Tom stuff. Because <sighs> you almost get into the point where you get ages. into Carla's flat and you feel like the Vivian stuff is maybe not going to be revealed or solved because it's still lingering yeah. until Jonathan does his little magic trick in Word. <laughs> and re-highlight some text. Oh God, that bit's painful to watch, that is. If you wanted to write something that wasn't visible on the screen, all you need to do is make the text the same color as the background. In which case, if we just try highlighting it, yes. I just switch the font from white back to black. Oh, what have you found? appears to be the final missing piece of the jigsaw. And when you think of it, the only person there who could possibly have made it look as if a bullet had passed through that window. 
the thing I like about that is when Jonathan is doing it, he's <laughs> he's talking as if he's revealing a magic trick. You're like, Jonathan, come on, come on, mate. It's like it's like Invisible Ink for two thousand and one. Is it though? It's just it's a bit duff. I'm not. A lot of stuff is duff in John Three, to be fair, but it's, most of it is delightfully duff. I think that is just a bit duff. I wonder if the cafeteria is just there to almost explain it better to the audience what's happening in Satan's Chimney, <laughs> just in case they didn't get it from the set. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, to be fair, it's not a bad shout because it does neatly display what is going on in a way that maybe you might not quite get watching the reenactment. Yeah, I just don't think it works as an epiphany at all for, in the manner of other Jonathan Creek ones. I think because they muddy it up a little bit with Jody sitting on his uh, lap with a wasp and stuff, I would have been all right with him just working it out from seeing a cafeteria. We're just looking at the cafeteria, but I wonder if you were looking at the cafeteria, that's to the audience we get it immediately. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because that bee thing probably happens with about two hours left of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> cafetiere she knew if I stared at him for long enough I might give the game away so she panicked and caused a diversion okay we've had the effect the method and the reveal but there are other elements which make up a Jonathan Creek episode including the Victor Meldrew award for most unbelievable scene now there's a couple of things in this but I just want to put the music in general in this episode what is going on it's like slapstick. Do you like the rock song that plays for two oh, seconds God. when he's getting tied up? Yeah, that's weird. It, all the music is wild. It was like it's like proper carry on. And there's to be fair, there's some scenes that are a little bit carry on, like her rubbing the guy down and stuff like that. But even in bits where it shouldn't be, and it's not appropriate, there's still like this wild music happening all the time. But yeah, it's odd. But th- to be fair, there was one that really made me laugh, and I was actually laughing out loud. And that is when, what's his name? Kenny Starkis has been working in Norway, but he's actually been living in a doorway. That's so crap. I love it. So I guess things didn't work out for you over there then, Kenny, in the end. Pardon me? Well, you said on the phone you've been living for the last couple of years in Norway. Uh... In a doorway. Jesus Christ. I love I love it. <laughs> no, no, doorway. It's fine. <laughs> I love that. The bit with Jonathan and Adam, where like Adam's being like pulled around on ropes and then they're basically they Oh, come on. And that's when Carla first meets Jonathan as well. Yeah, yeah. That's quite Meldrewy. That's complete Meldrew, that is. Like meeting some for the first time, like whilst doing a 69 on your boss. Yeah, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Bit grim one here, but not seeing Alan Kalanak's dead body in a river you're crossing until you stand on his head. <laughs> also, Jonathan's just walked past it. <laughs> the most observant man that we know. And also, it's not like he's surrounded by reeds or it's not like a deep it's, river. It's a brook. <laughs> it's a brook. The Jonathan has just stepped on the exact same path as her, and she as he walked over him and not noticed. That's disgusting. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, 
And which one should we give it to? Mm, well, there's, I mean, there's another one as well, which is the rat crawling up, what's his, chops his leg. Bronson. Bronson, and then Raymond having to get it out. So like, he literally gets his rat out. <laughs> yeah, I've written that. Uh, that's on it as well. But yeah, I think... I, I think flying around on the stage is probably it, isn't it? I think so. I think because also it's more of the sitcom setup of meeting your new love interest for the first time. Like introducing a character in that moment is very Meldrew. Yes, for sure, for sure. Okay, thing that's dated the most? Uh, like we've got a lot of computer stuff, but what? why does that chat show look so bad? At the beginning, like why? Why I can't? We've had we just had Jonathan Ross on, like a proper chat show, and now they've got this show which looks like it's been set up in a bedroom. It's so disgusting. I I was shocked by that. I was like, how is that? How have they let that go on? I know because he was also on that really good chat show with Maddie as well, where he's talking loads in Omega Man. Yeah, and we've had um, uh, reconstituted corpse. We've had a full on chat show in that. Why is why is this? Maybe they're running out of budget at this point. <laughs> yeah, spent it all on cafeteers. Um, uh, yeah, people saying um, I saw this posted on the net. Don't refer to the internet as the net anymore. Or surfing, <laughs> surfing, um, going on the net. I've put Doomdorf Castle's map paintings. Yeah, uh, some of the visuals of Doomdorf Castle. It just looks like an oil painting. Especially the one at night, I think they've dated really badly. Because obviously that does not exist in reality, that place at all. That's a good one. That's a really, really good one. Um, I think having an entire, like, really big plot point set up on the fact that they've just highlighted some text and she's just turned the text white. <laughs> like, I know it's meant to be like, oh, like the magic of invisible ink. But at the same, and like, it takes Jonathan so long to work it out. Because <laughs> also they say she never password protected it, but Grawl, did they put a password on her thing? Cause, yeah. Because if she doesn't know, why not just learn how to use passwords? Yeah. That whole thing is a bit wild, isn't it? But the only thing is, though, like the thing that is weird, she has a password reminder for her own name. Yeah. That's mad. Because why are you forgetting your own name? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. Again, I think this is one of those things where I bet Renwick has a book of little things like the mnemonic for a phone number in Time Waits for Norman. Yeah. A phone number that looks two numbers where you look at it upside down or not, like with Vernon Pools. I bet he has a little thing going, oh, you can write Vivian in this way. Yeah. As little things. And then he looks into it and goes, oh, we can make this character called Vivian and I can put that thing at some point. I bet he's got a collection of weird little puzzles and word things that he can use in episodes. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, sometimes I don't mind that because when you bring it in, like the mnemonic thing in Time Waits to No One, like, I don't mind it. But with this, it doesn't make any sense because the thing that she's reminded of herself of is her own name. I've also put Alessi, the clothing brand. Oh, I love that. That's coming back, you know. I've just bought, um, well, what's his name? What's that Scottish singer? that everyone likes Lewis Capaldi Lewis Capaldi that's it yeah he uh he's he's got a big deal with him I, I had to get into a virtual queue uh two weeks ago at 8 a.m so because my niece is very very fond of him and he's di he did a limited run of 100 t-shirts and I got into a virtual queue to try and get her one for her birthday and I managed to get one. Oh wow that's good yeah he only did a hundred of them yeah it was wild but yeah that was me I was checking on Twitter as well to see who had got one, and it was just—it felt like it was just me and a lot of teenage girls. 
just going for these t-shirts is great at one point one girl was like i got one and i found myself almost replying go me too wasn't that good and i was like what are you doing get away get off get off your nut that's enough now um you just went off add a sticky bun yeah <laughs> uh most british thing i've only got one thing which is saying let's have a quick shifty a quick shifty that's good for having a look around i think that's uh that's that's very british but i love it i've got the husky tones of news anchor Penny Smith. <laughs> yes. She was the news anchor on GMTV in the 90s when we were growing up. That's very good, yeah. It's weird that she does a bit of acting. Um, I've also put the pools, the football pools. Oh, yeah. Um, that becomes a thing with Vernon. But I think even in 2001, that was pretty dated because the pools became less of a thing after the lottery came along yeah. in the mid-90s. But I remember you hearing bit like people playing the pools, which are basically betting on top league football. I uh, I lived with a guy at uni that was into football pools and also teletext. Like he's just fucking obsessed with teletext. You could check the pools on teletext. I had a look. The pools were sold a couple of years ago to another company. But I guess there's no point for them when you can just bet online all the time now. Yeah, you could bet on literally anything, which is pretty good. That was my first ever job in London was doing voiceovers and commentaries on Asian Champions League and uh, women's tennis. That was just me commentating on that. I just go sit in a little uh, commentary booth, just do because I worked for a company that did the voiceovers for them. Because by law, uh, like William Hill and all those online betting things, they can't. Ju- like, if you bet on something, you get to watch it, but nobody wants to watch a live feed of it without any commentary because it just looks weird. So all of those feeds had to have a commentary with it. And I was one of those things. It's just, yeah, it's good fun it was. But yeah, that, that's just what, all I've got for the most British thing. I don't know if British, is using the word bang for sex British? Yeah, that's pretty British. Also quite dated as well now. And humped. <laughs> it says this phrase humped and dumped. Humped and dumped for sure, yeah. There's a couple of things though. Uh, like this is two two thousand and one. Like, and when we're talking about things not being all right anymore, there's a couple of things, particularly Bronson saying, "Where did you learn to catch the local R word academy?" Yeah, I was like, "That I hate that word so much." Americans say it now, though. I don't know if that's a cultural difference, but Americans say it. Yeah, the R word. Why are they doing that? It's not on. Don't say that. It, ha- it comes up a lot in Gossip Girl. And Gossip Girl is like 2006. I think people still use it now. I guess if it's not stigmatized in America, then it's not. They just don't know that we think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not good, is it? I think it's also really funny that when Kenny Starkis is doing his like pitches for ideas, Jonathan's like, yeah, that's that would be really good, wouldn't it? Cutting someone's head off um, on national TV prime time is like, do you know some of the shit that David Renwick puts in Jonathan Creek, which is on BBC on prime time? Like, that's not far off. <laughs> also, uh, Carla blackmailing Bronson with those pictures that she takes of him. Yeah, that's really not on. It feels like she doesn't get that much information out of that scene either. <laughs> and then also... I think just the entire character of Jodie and what they do with her, like just going around, uh, like when she, I guess, seduces Carla and Carla comes out, it's like, I'm going to need so much therapy. I think the entire treatment is really feels off. Well, I've put Carla finding homosexuality disgusting. Yes. She says, I'm going to need therapy. Whoa, what if I like it? 
why if you like it? And also making making such a big thing out of it at the end where like her and Jonathan are having the same, like different conversations at the same time. But like she's taking a thing on. She's like, what if I could never have a man again? And it's just, it all, it feels really old and out of date. I do think, I know it's there for mainly for laughs, but the treatment of Kenny, because he obviously oh, has yeah. some kind of mental illness. They call him Mr. Wacko. Also, I think having, they kind of make a, joke out of it but like raymond as well just having raymond yeah. walking around he doesn't speak but they have him just doing this wild stuff like getting a rat out of someone's like it feels like he is a bit of a butt of a joke now and again to have a a little person in an episode and refer to them as a source of mystery yeah <laughs> and make him sinister is weird yeah yeah it's really strange that's all I've got for that, all right? Yeah. There's some bits that could be grot camera. The only one I would say, because I don't like it, it, I think not all right, is Jonathan. He doesn't often have moments of powers of deduction, observation. Yeah. We've had it a couple of times in the show so far. You associate it more with Sherlock Holmes, but he uses his powers of deduction to know that Carl has had sex. Oh, yeah. And he, and he uses it to embarrass her. Yeah. Which I think is a really not an okay thing to do. It's a really creepy scene that is, yeah. I don't like that Jonathan does it. So what if she's had sex? He does it to like, embarrass her? I don't think it's cool. Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? Well, let's open up the grot cabinet then. It starts with some really weird Renwick grot. Well, that was yow. One second while I get my eyeballs to face forward again. Renwick's a virgin. He's never had sex. He's never had sex, let me tell you. It's such a weird thing. Why does he keep doing it? He just wants to know what it's like. <laughs> and then straight after that, then, we get the body doubled. Another set of boobs. We get to see another set of boobs, bit of bum, almost a penis. Oh, Boxing Day 2001. And they're having a go at Kenny Starkiss, are they? Unbelievable. <laughs> um, what, what, what have you got? I've put... Adam saying that Carla is the only agent who is welcome to 10% of me. Oh. 10%. Come on, Adam, as if. Also, doing the, doing the trick of taking her bra off. Yeah. It's also not all right, that as well. No. It's probably more not all right than it is grot. I think having uh, all those women at the end for a trick, which it sounds like they've already pulled, but they're still going through the rigmarole of getting those girls to do those positions. Jonathan's in on it. Jonathan's measuring them, getting the Polaroids. That's grim. That is grim, that is. Carla rubbing all that cream on Bronson. Yeah. She doesn't need to be doing that. And she's really been really pervy while she's doing it. And then at the end, she leaves the cream and he says, I'll finish myself off. Yeah. Also, she gets no information from that. Because you think, oh, she's going to go in and then she's going to find out that actually Vivian and Bronson didn't really get on that much. And that's the information she's going to come out with. She never says that. It's, it's, it's a weird scene anyway that actually doesn't make any sense and there's no function for it, which I don't get. Yeah, that's all. Let's, let's, should we shut the grot cabinet? You got anything more to chuck in there? No. So, yeah, I, I think like I was kind of all the way through this because obviously, unfortunately, we do not have a Jonathan and Maddie update. But I was thinking a lot of like how Maddie would have made this better and what would Maddie, what would Maddie's function be in this episode? I know you'd have to work out a way for them to be getting involved and stuff, which Carla does a good job of that. She kind of bridges those worlds and, and brings Jonathan in that way. But I guess it's really hard to think, like, what would she have solved? <laughs> 
And it's also really hard to be like, what would, like, would Maddie make this episode better? Yes, 100%. But, you know, I, I, I feel like it's quite an unfair uh, intro for Julia Sawala and as Carla because and also as you say like it does it feels like Renway doesn't really know what he wants to do with her yet but he doesn't really it's not a first episode of something and you can't treat it like it is and I think to bring someone in who's not fully fleshed out as a character and not to really know anything about them other than her saying I'm actually really insecure like you you're not introducing them in a in a fair way I wonder if I've just got an idea Wes, if we go, when is the next episode in terms of dates? I wonder if this is genuinely in a holding pattern. Yeah. And they don't want to waste any time getting another character up to speed Mm. if Maddie is going to come back. That's true. So this is, this is, Satan's Chimney is Boxing Day 2001. Yeah. The next time we get an episode is almost two years later. It is 1st of March, 2003. Ah. So it's two years and two, three months later. So I wonder if Carla is squeezed in as the theatrical agent's Kalanak. Yeah. Just to give him a foil for this one-off while they're figuring it out. Because you don't want to launch into establishing her as this new big thing if maybe she goes away next season. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good shout, actually. Because what she becomes is far from this theatrical agent, really. They kind of explain that way, going, oh, she has a background in theatre, but she's, she's not. She's a different character, really, in terms of what she's doing with her life. I know we obviously don't know the ins and outs and personal lives, and we don't know what was actually going on. But from that interview that we found, which Caroline, Caroline Quentin just says, oh, the show had moved on when I was ready to come back. Was Caroline Quentin doing anything around 2003? Because her baby would have been, what, like two then? Did they think that Judas O'Hala was actually really good? Did she go down well? And they were like, oh, actually. Maybe some people just didn't get on. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if Alan and Caroline didn't get on. I know, I know we're only going to buy... Uh, it's not fair to just go by uh, IMDb. She does have a big gap where from 2002 to 2004 she doesn't do anything so maybe she was just like i want to raise my child here you don't think gav the plot of satan's chimney is a, about an actress getting murdered because she takes a couple of years off to have a baby oh do you think renwick knows what metafiction is <laughs> is he working out some of this animosity towards caroline quentin through the plot of satan's chimney Maybe Satan's Chimney is a big F you to Caroline Quentin for going off and having a baby. Oh, you're going to take two years off in your packed career? Maybe Renwick is a baddie. And and Tom represents the obsessive Jonathan Creek fan. Is that us? I wouldn't kill that Caroline Quentin. Absolutely not. Maybe, because I'm not saying that he is a baddie, but he's done very little else. So suggest that maybe people don't want to work with him. Who? Renwick? Yeah. Maybe. Because he's done, he's done nothing else other than John. From 1997 to 2016, all he was doing was Jonathan Creek and One Foot in a Grave. I mean, I mean that's like making Madman and The Sopranos. (laughs) (laughs) Some people only get one in a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah, good. He's he's done well, isn't he? (laughs) On the next episode, we're confronted with our first locked gym mystery in the Coonskin Cap. 
Up the Creek is produced by RKG. We make podcasts and videos about games, movies, basically anything fun, including 23-year-old BBC shows about a magician's assistant who lives in a windmill. If you'd like to find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash RKG. <laughs>